Hi, and welcome. I'm Steve Martorano, and this is The Behavioral Corner. You're invited to hang with us as we discuss the ways we live today, the choices we make, the things we do, and how they affect our health and well-being. So you're on the corner, The Behavioral Corner. Please hang around a while. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Behavioral Corner once again. Uh, your, uh, your head hanger-outer, me, Steve Martorano. Here on the corner, uh, talking to interesting people, we think we know about very interesting things. The idea of the behavioral corner is sort of inherent in the name. The way we behave affects everything. Our behavioral health is a big topic. It covers those choices we make, uh, situations we confront, and how all of that affects our you know, emotional, spiritual, and physical well-being. So hang with us. It's a spring day, at least where we are on the corner, and we have a real good one for you today. You know, I don't think anybody listening to this has not heard the term of bipolar disorder or might even know somebody who uh, suffers from bipolar disorder. I looked at numbers the other night that said there are over a couple of million Americans that uh, have this condition, which represents like 1% of the population. It's fairly fairly well-known mainstream thing, but uh, the details about it uh, can only be, I think, really understood if you talk to somebody who's been there and is doing that with bipolar disorder. We have an old pal and a colleague with us to talk about her uh, dealing with bipolar disorder. Tanya Rule is the communications project manager for our partners in the Behavioral Corner, Retreat Behavioral Health, and she has in the past been a great help to this program and one that preceded it. She used to do a lot of work for us when we were doing some more Facebook stuff. I've known Tanya for a handful of years now. During that period of time, knew her as as even-keeled and as steady a person as I've ever met. I had no reason to think that she was suffering from anything like bipolar. So I was really surprised to find out that recently. So we reached out to Tanya and she has joined us on the corner to talk about bipolar disorder. Hello, Tanya. Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me. You're in your office there at Retreat uh, in Lancaster County, correct? I am. Yeah, when I was going up there regularly, I'll probably do that again soon, we were neighbors. Sonia has has a little office next door door to where our studio is. So again, thanks for uh, joining us. One of the reasons we wanted to talk to you about this is that you are going to be part of a Facebook live panel discussion on the 30th of this month. So those of you who make a note, if this interests you in this topic and you want to know more about it, then you'll find out here. Facebook Live uh, on the 30th of this month, the end of the month, at oh. 6 o'clock, and you'll be able to tune in and watch uh, Tanya. She'll be joined by a clinician. There'll be the uh, psychiatrist to discuss the disorder. So, Tanya, yeah, I was surprised to find that you had this disorder because I always found you to be pretty even keeled. You, you got, when you got stressed, you got stressed for the same reason we were all getting stressed. We forgot to record something or the guest didn't show up or, uh, you know, it's just sort of the garden variety stuff. So let's begin at the beginning. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? Well, I grew up in Lititz, Pennsylvania, which when I was growing up was a small town. It's obviously not as small anymore and has become more in popularity than what it was back then. Mm -hmm. When I grew up there, it was so small that I could walk down the street and my grandmother knew who I was with, 
what time I was with them and where I was going. <laughs> right, right. Well, I, I know I know a little bit about that, but it's too. It's while it's no thriving metropolis now. It is. Uh, it's almost a tourist attraction in the uh, Lancaster County area, right? Yep. You, you grew up in this kind of idyllic little small town in the middle of uh, middle of Lancaster County. Uh, you had siblings. Yes, I grew up with two sisters. Um, I was raised by a single mom who worked very, very hard. I didn't get to see her much. It was, a lot of times it was my older sister taking care of my younger sister, so mm. I spent a lot of time with my grandmother. Yeah, yeah. You had two sisters then. Where were you in the birth order, the middle? or the, I'm the middle, yep. The, the middle child, the old yep. proverbial middle child. When... And under what circumstances did you start to have problems with your moods and what were they like before they were diagnosed as a disorder? I think probably it was more noticeable around the teenage years Mm -hmm. is when it was starting to get more noticeable. Mm -hmm. It was really, I was either sleeping all the time or not sleeping at all were the two main noticeable ones. Yeah. Can I ask you a question? What is that noise I'm hearing? <laughs> what, are you, what are you, what are you doing? My, my service dog is playing with a toy that has a squeaker in it. <laughs> Take that thing away from that I, dog. I did. I just took it from him. <laughs> I'm thinking. I didn't realize that? it had a squeaker in it. So we like dogs on the corner. So that's good. So anyway, it's interesting because bipolar disorder, from what I've been reading over the past couple of days, begins to manifest itself around 20 is sort of the average age when people really start to see this thing. But it happens earlier than that, 15, 16, at a time when most teenagers, and you've got a couple, are acting odd anyway. They're moody and they're a pain in the neck and they're, you know, excited one day. And So I guess for a period of time, except for the sleeping, or even the sleeping, kids sleep forever if you let them. Some of what you were going through must have been just dismissed as well, Tanya is just a moody kid. Yep. And, and overly sensitive. I got that a lot. It's either, oh, she's just being her happy self or, oh, she's being overly sensitive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you buy that or did you think, I don't know, something doesn't feel right? Well, at that point in time, my mom had actually gotten remarried and my mom and I had later in the years, our relationship had changed a lot. So I do not hold this against her. Mm-hmm. but. At that point in time, my mom did not really believe in mental health. So she honestly thought I just needed counseling and I needed Jesus. So she actually believed that the problems that I had was just like um, Satan attacking me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Rebelliousness, uh, clashing with with her, a new new, uh, man around the house. How old were you when she remarried? I was 13, but I actually really liked him because my biological father was pretty much non-existent in my life. Uh, So your mom thought, and she's not alone in this, that you could pray your way out of this, right? Yes. How'd that make you feel? It actually made me feel really discouraged because I tried. And if it wasn't working, that means you must be a bad person. Right. Because if God doesn't want to help you. Right. So talk a little bit about sleeping all the time and What were some of the other symptoms you had as a young person that were really causing a problem? Well, I would have like these grandiose ideas that would pop into my head and I would go and do them with no sense of the consequences that would happen after. Really? 
like, especially once I got my first job, Mm -hmm. like I was responsible for like my car insurance and all of that. Like my mom really tried to instill the whole concept of um, the monetary values of money and being responsible and all of that. She really wanted me to understand all of that. And I very much appreciated that as I was older, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but you know, she would help me with my budget and the way she did it is I would get my paycheck and I would have like envelopes and I would put like so much money per paycheck in each envelope so that when a bill came, I would have the money in that envelope to pay it. Mm -hmm. Well, if I got an idea in my head and I didn't have money for that, but a bill wasn't due yet. Right. There it went because I had no concept of the consequences that the bill was still coming. Mm-hmm. And now most people would say, oh, that's just a normal teenager, except it would be all of the money, not just like from one envelope. It would be from all of them. And this wouldn't happen once or twice. This would happen repeatedly over and over and over and over again. As soon as the bills came and I didn't have the money, the realization hit and that's when the depression hit. And then I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't want to deal with like the realization hit and it was awful. And the spiral, it was just horrific for me. Yeah. Uh, So the highs were very high. You'd have this orderly system. Then you started to do what a lot of people do. It's got nothing to do with teenagers. You started doing the, you know, Rob Peter to pay Paul. How high were the highs that you would have when, when you were in that phase where you say grandiose ideas and you're up? And how high would those moments be? Um, I mean, it's hard to explain. Like, I guess what I mean, you weren't, if you're around enough people, I certainly have been around people who were bipolar. And um, even when they were sort of stable, we would all be excited about something. They would be just a little more excited about it. Yeah. You know, they would be just a little more intense about what was going on. I mean, you didn't wake up so high you thought you were an empress. You just thought there were things you could do and there would be no consequences for it. And then when right. the consequences arrive, boom, you're in trouble, right? Right. When I had these ideas, I was super excited about them. Right. You got very excited about them. Right. And I guess in a work situation and even in a personal situation, people must go, oh, I love her enthusiasm. Yes. I mean, it worked. If you get excited about something, you're rewarded for that. So how low were the lows? They sound like they, for you, were more problematic than the hyper behavior, right? Yes. The depression part of it, for me, was always worse Mm -hmm. um, and usually lasted longer. Mm -hmm. And you say it would manifest itself by you just not wanting to get out of bed, right? Yeah, mainly not wanting to get out of bed, not wanting to um, talk to anybody, and even at times not wanting to take care of myself. Right, right. Just sort of what's the point, I guess, huh? Yeah. So at some point, someone must have said, you know, there's a problem here. This is a physical problem that you're going through. Did they first diagnose it as just depression? No, honestly, my first diagnosis was bipolar, but it wasn't until I was 27. You had a good, what, 10, 12 years of this up and down yo-yoing thing. Yep. And it was Uh, actually my mom who encouraged me to go see someone and get diagnosed. 
Did she actually use the words bipolar? No, she didn't use the words bipolar. She, how she put it to me is Tanya, there's really something going on here. That's more than what you going to counseling like you have in the past has seemed to warrant. Maybe we should set up appointment somewhere for you to go and see what they say. Oh, so you were getting some talking therapy during that period of time. Yeah, well, I had stopped for a long time because she had me going. I shouldn't say she had me going. She had requested I go to her Christian counselors Mm -hmm. years prior to this. Mm -hmm. So it was a faith-based approach to the problem. Yeah. And incidentally, uh, while that may not have worked for you, it does work for some people. But we can't lose sight of the fact that bipolar is a brain disease. There's a problem going on chemically inside people's heads. It's out of whack. Incidentally, from my reading, not something that one cures. This is something that one, if you're lucky, like Tanya, you identify it and then start uh, managing it. So when you get that diagnosis, must be quite a relief on the one hand. Oh, really? Now we know what it is. It's not this mysterious thing going on. Is that the way you felt? I felt confused and conflicted, honestly. Uh, Yeah. Conflicted how? Because I was raised so long being told that I was being attacked by Uh, uh outside forces that I couldn't see. And then at the same time, now I'm being told that I'm not, that there's something wrong with my brain. That that is out of my control. (laughs) Okay, which one is right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Talk about bad news and worse news. Oh, you mean it's not the devil? It's my brain? (laughs) That's got to be a little uh, disturbing. So, okay, so you're diagnosed at 27 as having this bipolar disorder. And by the way, uh, in a nutshell, because Tanya is not, nor am I, a clinician. She knows way more about than I do. But just very briefly, in a broad sense, bipolar disorder can be said to uh, manifest itself by wild, fluctuating mood changes. And we don't mean one day you're a little blue, next day you're a little happy. We mean radical shifts in mood. By the way, before we move forward about how you start getting help, the shift in one's mood when you have bipolar, is it a sudden shift or is it a gradual change? How did that work for you? For me, it's kind of gradual, but at the Mm -hmm. same time, it can be sudden. Yeah. Now, that being said, like usually from the depression to the mania, is usually gradual, but then from the mania to the depression, it can be sudden. Like that's, that's where it's, it's weird. The rise up is slower, but the crash is enormous. Yes. But now it's really weird because occasionally I have to get put on prednisone Mm -hmm. and that will put me in mania ASAP. Well, we're going to get to your meds in a second because they're key as we say, to managing bipolar right. disorder. You're, you're, the medicine that they use is uh, is critical. We're on the behavioral corner with our pal, uh, Tonya Rule. Tonya is uh, an employee of uh, Retreat Behavioral Health, has been for a while. She is communications project manager. As we told you, she's going to take part in a Facebook Live uh, seminar that you can drop in and watch, we hope you do, on the 30th of March on Retreat Behavioral Health's Facebook page. She's telling us about her struggles with and now managing her bipolar disorder. So can you see these things coming? And are there triggers that you now can identify that that would trip me off? 
or did they just come out of nowhere? Now so much, I don't really have triggers per se because I stay on my medication. If I would go off my medication, seasons actually play a real big role. Is that right? Yeah. In my mania and depression big time, as well as, this is going to sound funny, but money. Money plays a huge role in my mania and depression big time as well. Yeah, well, me too. I mean, I hear you. I I hear you. So people should understand that while this is an actual uh, physical problem, a a brain disorder problem, it sounds like you're saying it manifested itself for you anyway, around mundane, ordinary things that we all face. Mm -hmm. Money, your kids, it's not easy raising uh, young people. And those things, when they occur to somebody with a bipolar problem, are just exacerbated. Uh, when did they say to you, okay, we think we can handle this with meds? What was the first medication you began taking? Oh my gosh. Honestly, my first <laughs> my first experience with medication was actually not very productive for me, to be honest. Okay. I was actually a single mom of all three of my children. At that time, I did not know how to advocate for myself very well. Um, I've learned over the years how to do that. And I was on so much medication that I was actually only awake for seven hours a day. And I know Seroquel was one of the medications. Lamictal was one of the medications. Is that typically what they do? They prescribe these mood classification drugs in combination with one another and see if they can get some kind of balance going. Is that what they did? I think they do. Yes. I think that's what they normally do. They try to find the right balance for everybody. Mm -hmm. I think, unfortunately, what happened with me is, again, I'm putting a lot of this on me. I -hmm. didn't know how to advocate for myself. It was the first time I had ever dealt with a psychiatrist. And I didn't know exactly what to say to explain to him what was going on. Now, when you say advocate, you mean too many people go into any any kind of medical professional and just sit there and go, well, they're the expert. I'll just do whatever they say. You had to get to a point where you went, nah, that's not right for me. Right. Yeah. Is that hard to get to, that advocacy for yourself? I think it's different for everybody. I think mm-hmm. for me, it was harder just because I had like underlying circumstances because I had a lot of trauma in my background. Mm -hmm. I mean, because of all of that stuff, it was a little bit more difficult for me. I can imagine being in a position where if you're a don't make waves kind of person uh, who's not very demonstrative, you might sit back and let them dictate terms to you. Well, it's good that you found out that nobody's going to look out for you better than you can look out for yourself. How long now? And I know that this is, as again, the nature of the disease is an up and down. I mean, I've known you for a bunch of years now and I, you know, we're not around each other a lot, but you seem to me to be obviously competent and on a pretty even keel. Would you characterize your behavior today as like mostly that way with some tough episodes or is it still fluctuating for you? No, I'm pretty even keel with some tough episodes. Um, I was actually, I was actually just at a med check last night. So I just had a med check last night. I actually go every six months 
How does that work with MedCheck? What do they do? So I just go in to the doctor's office. My primary care physician actually is willing to deal with this with me um, just because I have trust issues with psychiatrists mm-hmm. um, because of that first experience. Right. Um, as long as I stick to my routine. So I have to be very honest with him that I'm taking mm-hmm. my medication. So I go in literally every six months and we discuss, you know, how the medication is working. If I think it's working, if we need to adjust anything and Mm -hmm. we go from there. Yeah. People are probably wondering, gee, why would you not take your meds? I mean, why would you forget to take your meds? Or There must be some downside to the medicine. Is that why you would not take them? I told you about my first experience. With only being mm-hmm. awake seven hours a day, with being a right. single mom with three kids, and I said, "Screw this," and I stopped taking. Yeah. And that's not the first time that I did it. I was on medication again after that, and I was taking it for a while. And I said, "You know what? I feel great. I, I'm fine. I feel fine. I feel absolutely fine. I don't need medication. Why do I need medication? I feel fine." So you know what? I stopped taking it. And then guess what? I started having my really highs. I started having my really lows and like crap started hitting the fan. And guess what? Uh I said, oh crap, I need my medication. So I went back on my medication. It's not everybody, but it's actually pretty typical of people that have bipolar disorder. They start taking medication and then they feel okay. And they don't think that they need the medication. That's interesting. They feel fine. Yeah, that's interesting because it, because since your emotions are so wildly fluctuating there, the moment you begin to feel good, you feel real good, right? Yeah. So sort of, right, the sort of manic part comes and goes, wow, I'm really okay. I don't need that stuff. It's very insidious. Uh, as I said, I was reading some stuff. Lots of people self-medicate. They wind up with problems uh, of substance abuse. You didn't have any of that in, in your situation, did you? Addiction actually runs rampant, and I literally mean rampant, in my family. Mm-hmm. So I am actually extremely careful. Um, and that's part of the reason also why I have six-month checkups with my primary care physician, because I also want to make sure that that is like really kept in check and made sure that everything's okay. Are, are there any other members of the family uh, that suffer from bipolar disorder as well? We're actually waiting for an evaluation for my son, the possibility that he might. There's a possibility that my biological father does, but I don't right. think he was ever fully diagnosed. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's some evidence to suggest that you can inherit this. Your kids, your family, your immediate family now, you're married now, your, your kids, are they're aware of your disorder, right? Oh, yes. I'm very open with them and they're very much aware. Yeah. But they're, young kids and they don't give you much slack anyway right yeah <laughs> right yeah okay mom we all got problems right well you know what uh, Tonya um the final thing I wanted to know is that you know as difficult uh disorder as bipolar is this and managing it is the key recognizing what you have to do and do it never easy under any circumstances how much more difficult if at all has managing your bipolar disorder during this COVID For me, it hasn't been too difficult, really, because I've still had access to all my medication. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess in one sense, you, you know, bipolar, you, you don't sound like your problems were a result of your interaction with other people. Bipolar disorder really affects the person who has it. Right. In one sense, I guess being isolated wouldn't make much of a difference. Well, Tonya, I uh, thank you so much. I mean, as I said, I see you occasionally now, but I saw you a lot a year or so ago. You're doing great. Uh, you're to be congratulated. And everybody, remember uh, Facebook Live with Tonya, some, uh, some experts in the field of bipolar disorder. It'll be on Retreat Behavioral Health's Facebook page the 30th of this month, March, at 6 p.m. We'll look for you then again. Thanks for joining us on the Behavioral Corner. Did you ever think you'd wind up a guest on the show? No. Just getting luckier every day, Tanya. Luckier every day. <laughs> Tanya Rule, uh, Communications Project Manager. Thanks so much, and we'll look for you on Facebook. Thank you guys, too, for hanging with us on the corner. Uh, you know, we're here uh, wherever you find better podcasts, all of them, all those platforms out there. Follow us on Facebook. Uh, like us in general, but like us on those other platforms. We, we appreciate that. We're also looking for folks, you know, give us a little uh, get an opportunity. Tell us what you like about the corner, what we can do. We're, we're here to. Uh, Please and serve. That's it for us for now. Take care. See you next time. Bye-bye. Every storm runs out of rain, according to the great Maya Angelou. Her words can remind us of one very simple truth, that storms do cross our paths, but they don't last forever. So the question remains, how do we ride out this storm of COVID-19 and all the other storms life may throw our way? Where do we turn when issues such as mental health or substance abuse begin to deeply affect our lives? Look to Retreat Behavioral Health. With a team of industry-leading experts, they work tirelessly to provide compassionate, holistic, and affordable treatment. Call to learn more today. 855-802-6600. Retreat Behavioral Health, where healing happens. That's it for now. And make us a habit, hanging out at the Behavioral Corner. And when we're not hanging, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, on the Behavioral Corner.